1: Welcome to Something Rhymes with Purple. I'm Susie Dent and I'm sitting opposite...
0: Charles Brandreth.
1: And today we're talking about something we know a lot about. We're talking about love. Uh, and I say that because we are here because we love one thing in particular and that is words Oh, I
0: was hoping that was we somewhere more love. attractive. Well, we are here because we love each other in a nice, of course, wholesome way.
1: Of course, always wholesome. Uh, but we want to talk about the language of love. Uh, I find the podcast format it's it sort of tempts you to be very confessional that you think and you end up saying things that you think oh my gosh you know have i just told hundreds of thousands of people this? not hundreds of thousands not yet oh forgive me but i have to be careful we've had half here.
0: a million people listening to our podcast
1: half a million yeah good grief i'm looking at paul our producer here that's extraordinary oh, yeah. well thank you to everybody who's listening i'm going to stick with the language of love but giles tell us about your love life
0: Oh, there's not really a lot to tell. But love has meant a lot to me. And I think the language of love is very important. As you know, I've done this book called Dancing with the Light of the Moon, which is about learning poetry by heart. And I discovered in the course of it, uh, one of the values of learning a poem by heart is it's a very good way if you want to get... Seduce. Well, in the nicest sense, seduce. Mm-hmm. because Seduce the brain. This is the idea. You're going out on a date with somebody. I'm just thinking back to when I was a teenager. You're going out for a date with somebody and initially, you know, having getting to know you chats and what do you talk about, things that you both like. And, and I remember a girl saying to me, what's your favourite poem? And I told her what the favourite poem was. And then about three dates later...
1: She had it tattooed on n- her left shoulder.
0: <laughs> no. no. oh, Better than that, okay. in a way, better than that she said, oh, you remember that poem? She said, well, I've got a present for you. And sitting in the Cardoma coffee shop in Oxford, she leant forward and recited the poem Oh, too. how lovely. She had learnt the poem wow. by heart. And it suddenly occurred to me, that is a wonderfully, it's a wonderful gift to give people. Mm, it to, is. to give them something that they love. And mm. through poetry... There is a kind of, well, there is the language of love. Really what I'm trying to say is that words do matter when it comes to love. I, I remember I did a sort of class with some kids and I was asking them about love poetry and love letters and they knew what love poetry was. None of them knew what love letters was. And have I, have I mentioned this before? The girl, the girl I said, if you want to tell a boy you, you, you fancy him, what do you do if you don't send him a letter? She said, well, I'll send him a, uh, an emoji. An emoji instead <laughs> of a, you know, a smiling face. I said, well, that's, that's quite nice. And if he fancies you, what does he do? He sends me a smiling face with the tongue hanging out. That's said, oh, dear. And if he really fancies you, what does he send you? Oh, he sends me an aubergine. Well, that's fine in its own way. But I think you can do more with words. And I think the language It's quite interesting.
1: Love. The whole emoji thing is quite interesting, though, because there are huge discussion threads online about the sort of subtle distinctions between various emojis and what they might mean if they come from somebody that you are in love with it's extraordinary they are being discussed as much as any aspect of language which i think is probably a good thing well in a
0: way emojis are new kinds of word they are, it's a new it's a it's a pictogram it's a way of looking at words but with a with a picture mm. but i think the essence of what we're saying is that fundamental to love and of course we're talking initially about are we? What is love at the beginning of the story? Is it desire? What? What is it? What are the early days? It's fascinating
1: there's no synonym for love and yet it encapsulates so many different things. There's no exact equivalent, a word that oh. means pretty much the same thing. What and
0: age were you when you first fell in love?
1: Well, probably about 13, maybe.
0: Uh, yeah, I was younger than that. OK. I think, I suppose, I first fell in love. And we can talk about love and in love where the expression forming yes, in love Yes because comes I fell
1: from. in love with the, you know with my pet dog in a different way much much earlier than that but if you're talking about romantic love I think Yes
0: that's because in much. a sense you didn't I don't know that you fell in love with your pet dog I think you loved your pet dog
1: No I did actually fall in love with it as a puppy but it's ah. totally different and that's what I mean is the language of love is m- amazingly Limited, really. When does
0: the idea of falling in love come about? Does Shakespeare use it?
1: Yes, that's a really good question, actually. As, as opposed as to in the OED. <coughs> loving. Falling had many uses. So, for example, women fell pregnant yeah. in the olden days. As though it was some sort of sin. I don't like um, that sort expression, of, you know, falling fa- pregnant. Yeah, People no, still use either. the phrase
0: falling pregnant.
1: Do they? So let's have a look and see what. This is me typing on the laptop... In the OED. Okay. No, it goes back to Old English. So the Anglo Saxons were talking about becoming enamoured, passionately attached to, uh, by expressing it as being taken, caught, or falling in love.
0: Well, I think I was probably about 10 when I started falling in love, Mm -hmm. and I would fall in love on a regular basis with a wide range of objects of desire. And I remember I had a younger brother. I had a younger brother who was 10 years younger than me. And I was sent by my parents or by my mother to wheel my younger brother around the streets of London in his pram and later in his pushchair. Mm -hmm. So given I was 10 years old, I would have been 10, 11, 12 when I was doing this. And I do remember walking the streets of London, pining for different people objects mm-hmm. of desire what is interesting is i can no longer remember what the objects of desire who they were mm. but i do remember the idea of falling in love
1: it's uh, intoxicating someone had, um it was a quite a recent coinage really and um, so quite recently invented words in the grand scheme of things and the exhilarating rush of falling in love was termed limerence but it's really really hard to express it isn't it even even words struggle to convey what you know, the, the, the sort of the whole exhilaration, yes. intoxication. Obviously. You can
0: say, you can say, I hate you in a whole variety of ways. I despise you. I loathe you. Yes. I think you're completely ghastly. But you can't say I love you, except with the words, I love you. Pretty much,
1: yes. There's nothing. There's nothing that really captures its whole spectrum of um, emotion. But the vocabulary surrounding love um, is very different. And um, you tell know, us about that. Well, if you have got hot for someone. Um, If you look in the OED, you have concupiscence.
0: What does concupiscence mean?
1: (laughs) It means having the hots. It means fancying the pants of somebody. Um, Or if you're excessively fond of your wife, which I know you are. I'm not sure excessive is the right word here. You are uxorious. Ah, yes. You know that? And the opposite, if she's... Because uxor
0: is Latin for wife.
1: Yes, and if she totally dotes upon you, she is meritorious. I'm afraid
0: that she doesn't. Okay. Uh, so let's move
1: Let's forget about that on. then. You know, any historic thesaurus will give you some juicy alternatives for sex, if you don't want to say sex. Um, you can call it hot cockles, or at least you could in the 1500s, doing the service of Venus... In the 1600s, or oh, this is my absolute favourite, 1800s, you would be enjoying some fand- fandango to poke <laughs> <laughs> We love that. Which is great. Um, and I know one of my trio of words in the past has been furky toodling, which is just a bit of messing around.
0: Tell me about words to do with getting married. Mm. I, I got married a long time ago, and I got married at Maryland Registry Office mm-hmm. because my parents were married there. Yeah. My parents were married. My, my parents met... In the 1930s, my father bought the first set of Monopoly, the game Monopoly, sold in this country mm. in Christmas 1936 at Selfridges. He was front of the queue, bought the first set. He went back to his digs in Gower Street, London, and asked the landlady if she'd be interested in a game. this new game he'd got. And she said, no, not interested at all. He said, but there's a, a woman along the corridor who's got a daughter. They might like to play with you. So my father went along the corridor, knocked on the door, showed the couple who answered the door, a middle-aged woman, and... And her twenty-year-old daughter showed them this game of Monopoly and said, "Fancy game of Monopoly." Oh. They played Monopoly. Six weeks later, my father and the girl eloped. No, yes, oh, it's an amazing they story. Eloped and they got married at Maryland registry office. They, neither, they didn't tell their parents, and they got the they went up. They paid the license, and the the, the registrar said, where, "Where are the witnesses?" And they said, "What witnesses? They said, you going to have witnesses?" So they got one of the clerks who was working at the registry office and my father went down and bought some flowers from a flower stall at the corner and said, if I buy two bunches, will you come in and be a witness? So those are the witnesses. How fantastic. So many years later, when uh, my wife and I decided to get married, we got married discreetly too at Marylebone registry office and we just had two witnesses. And our honeymoon, we went for lunch after the wedding among our witnesses was an actor friend of mine called Simon Cadell. You may remember yeah. him from IDI, no longer with us. And it was very exciting because at the lunch, we went to a wonderful restaurant called The Empress. At the next table was an actor called John LeMessurier or John LeMessurier mm. Le M- yeah, from Dad's Army. Mm. Wonderful actor. So we thought that was rather exciting. And then Simon drove us to Heathrow Airport and we went for our honeymoon to Rome for the weekend. Oh, beautiful. Roman holiday! Which was, Exactly. But well, this is all leading up to okay. Honeymoon. Why was it called yes. a Honeymoon?
1: Well, first of all, I'm just going to have a scribble from Paul. our producer sitting opposite me saying, why is it called Eloping? Ah. And it simply comes from um, the German Entlaufen, which is to oh. run away, steal away like a thief.
0: Like a thief. And I mm. suppose we were running away like thieves mm. because we didn't tell, funnily enough, um, our parents that we were getting married for several years, not until our first children were due. So it was three, four, even five years after we got married that we told our parents that we were married. This may seem completely immaterial to a modern young audience, but I have to tell you, 45, 50 years ago, it was considered quite shocking. Absolutely. If you lived with your girlfriend... Or boyfriend, you were He's still living in sin. That was the phrase, yeah. literally. The phrase was, or over the brush, no. yeah.
1: Mm. Oh, oh, There's I another what, one. I didn't
0: know about over the, the brush. over
1: the brush. What's that? It means that you aren't married, that so you're just sort of living with someone. So it's kind of northern expression, and no one knows where it comes from. Possibly from the idea that when people couldn't afford a proper marriage, they would, um, you know, still carry that the groom, would still carry the bride in inverted commas over their threshold, and that would be. Perhaps covered in straw. That was the idea. I mean, no one quite knows where the tradition comes from or came from, but
0: over the brush. Let's get to these wedding terms.
1: Yes, honeymoon honeymoon. you asked me about. Honeymoon sounds lovely, doesn't it? Um, Honey, sweet, the moon. Lune de miel. Romantic, Lune de miel. But actually, the original allusion was a fairly sarcastic or at least pessimistic one because it refers to sweet love that wanes as steadily as the moon. Oh. Mm, not great.
0: Oh, you mean it all goes wrong?
1: It all, well, it all just fades away.
0: So the honeymoon really means it's the end.
1: Yes, and actually when you think about it, the vocabulary is all slightly pessimistic. So we talk about being um, sort of hitched, getting yeah. hitched, getting yoked, um, holy wedlock. Yeah. I mean, the lock bit doesn't sound very good. So the kind of potential for cynicism is, is um, everywhere, if you want to. There was a lovely term for getting married back in, well, we're talking about four centuries ago now, which was joining giblets. Oh love. It sounds like Fandango oh, to poke them. We're joining are actually gyblets. meant to get married.
0: So that's a sort of euphemism for getting married. When you feel a bit awkward about saying, what's happening in your life? Well, I'm joining
1: giblets. <laughs> I think it's quite sweet, really. And um, any best man or woman looking for the sort of justification, I suppose, of a mother-in-law joke might enjoy the fact that matrimony goes back to the Latin for mother, mater. So, Oh, matrimony. Yes.
0: So in the state of holy matrimony, but does that mean you're going to become a mother?
1: Possibly, or that are you... It's a
0: gateway to marriage. Yeah,
1: or that it's also that matter is also behind matrix and the sort of, the, you know, the, the matter of life, really. Matter comes from matter, the, the whole substance of life. So mothers get to look in absolutely everywhere, which is quite right.
0: I find myself quite often at Gatwick Airport, quite often there early in the morning, and I find what is so exhausting is I'm trying to have breakfast when out of Wetherspoons are emerging at break of day people dressed as brides and grooms, um, men often either dressed as clowns or wearing bridal coiffure, and they're off to sunny climes for a stag party, oh, a hen yeah. party. Mm-hmm. It's gone wild. In my day, a wedding, well, it was a simple thing. I had a wedding breakfast because, literally, you went out to church, you got married, you came home, you had breakfast. It was breakfast. Now, the wedding is a whole-day event, and preceding the wedding is a trip. Why do we call these stag parties? Why do they call these hen Um
1: Well, hens, a bit like birds. Um, It's been applied to women in general since the 1500s. Oh, it's a female. So a cock is the male and a hen is the female. Exactly. So they're female birds. Yeah, and stag also, like various other, you mentioned cock as well, have been used to mean a male of any species. So stag party was exclusively male party. Have you ever been on a hen party? Yeah, I have. I'm not a great fan of, of just such a massive gatherings, single-sex gatherings. And what I don't goes know why. on? I just what do they do? Hard.
0: What happens at hen parties?
1: Well, they can be really nice. I think if you've got really close friends around you and then you just go and have lovely dinners and, you know, might do some fun things. But then that's great. But I think if there's sort of 20 or 30 people, not, not for me. But I do want to mention Love Island. Please. Um, now, as a linguist... You're almost obliged to watch Love Island because linguistically speaking, it's actually really interesting. because a whole lexicon of new words that have come out of Love Island. Have you ever watched it? Of course. Okay. So you might have a muggy person. A muggy person is somebody who is easily mugged, in other words, sort of quite gullible. Uh, really. If you are melt, you're a bit soppy, in a dorkish kind of way. If you're prangy, you're a bit anxious. Um, And how do these words come
0: into being? Is somebody inventing these words? Or they... I mean, how do they spring yeah. into life. I
1: think sometimes it, I get the feeling now that in um, uh, in the most recent programs there's this almost kind of deliberate planting of words to see if they kind of take off. But I don't know, I think it's just one person's perhaps homegrown word that they then use and it sort of takes off. My favorite recently was the ick factor, which is that overwhelming feeling of revulsion that you suddenly get. Oh, the ick factor. Oh. I like to think of them as an icky uh the recipient of your ick. So yeah. So I like I, but you know, that's that's a fairly good reason to watch Love Island. Perhaps the only reason to watch Love Island, some might say. But anyway, have we had it's break interesting. Yet? No. Okay, time for a break. Talk time for Love of, Island.
0: Let's have a break, and then let's talk about sex, baby. <laughs> Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girl? <laughs>
1: some peasant Coke. No.
0: We're back. And I thought we'd talked about sex on a program before, but we haven't.
1: In Charles' dreams, we have done a whole podcast on sex. Well, but I, I had I to tell him we haven't.
0: We're going to do many programs on sex over the coming <laughs> months and years, but we are talking today really about love, and love necessarily doesn't necessarily need to lead to sex. But if we're talking about being in love and forming relationships and seduction, sex does seem to play a part of Are you
1: of OK? Your voice almost went there. <laughs>
0: no, no. Well, it's both the emotion of the subject and the fact that I may have asthma. Uh, I, 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 <laughs> Not a good combination. <laughs> Sorry, here we are. Shakespeare, of course, <laughs> used a euphemism for the, the act of sex, and he talked about making the beast with two backs. Mm-hmm. Where does a bit of rumpy pumpy come from? A bit of rumpy pumpy.
1: Uh, oh, yes, rumpy pumpy. Well, I think it's just rhyming reduplication of rump and pumping. I think that's the idea. That's it.
0: What about this? Making whoopee? Uh, making whoopee, yes. As in having sex? Yes. This is an American expression, I think. Baking the potato. Shall we go bake the potato?
1: Oh, gosh, definitely wouldn't turn me on that one. OK. Fancy
0: the four-legged... <laughs> <laughs> OK. <laughs> I don't think I can get it out. I that
1: was think... your asthma, <laughs> I don't think I... <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> think I don't think I can get it out. That's bad enough. Let me try and get the line out. Susie, yeah, do you fancy the four-legged foxtrot? <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> um, having a horizontal refreshment. Oh, no. That's quite nice. No way. They were, they were having horizontal refreshment.
1: What about... Yeah, terrible. I haven't, I haven't heard a single one yet that's...
0: <laughs> <laughs> Wait for yeah. this. These are all legitimate ones. I've not made these up. I wouldn't. I couldn't. Hiding the sausage. <laughs> <laughs> ah, dearie me. Uh, ex- ah, this is quite nice. Extreme flirting.
1: Yeah. Do you think we could do, do some that extreme... Lalia is flirting that goes absolutely nowhere. Sallolalia? Spallow lalia. Why no. is that? Uh, I've no idea. <laughs> Just this flirting, flirting that leads that really nowhere. Leads
0: to what was the word for people? I, remember, I do know it's Greek, sorry. Uh, people to used to do this. I remember, you know, I was a friend of the great television chef Fanny Craddock. Yeah, Fanny Craddock. To bad younger, joke
1: coming up. No, no,
0: no bad joke at all. Okay, younger people who don't know what I mean. I always describe Fanny Craddock Really, she was a television chef, pioneering She's so television rude, chef.
1: Isn't she was very rude to people, no. but in a jokey way. Towards the
0: end of her career, there was an unfortunate broadcast with Esther Ranson, where she was a she put a downer on somebody who'd cooked something oh. that they hoped was very nice. She was actually a lovely person. Okay. Big-hearted, but she was a strong personality. She was really, in a way, a curious cross between Mary Berry and Jeremy Clarkson. Anyway, <laughs> Fanny Craddock introduced me to the word, it's going to come to me now, for what people used to do before, before they got married when they couldn't have sex. Because in the olden days, before contraception became, before the advent of the pill in the 1960s, if you had sex with somebody... Yeah, Susie's having a little bit of a uh, meltdown here, so I will go on talking. If I'm talking, listener, it's not because she's left the room. It's because she cannot speak because she's having re- respiratory problems on the other side of the table. Before people could have sex when they were boyfriend-girlfriend, they, because it was risky to do so apart from anything else, it was considered sinful, but it was also risky because <laughs> you might conceive. Yeah. They used to do this thing called something like dumpling. Anyway, what it amounted <laughs> to was you got into bed.
1: Listener, we were all just staring at
0: Charles. <laughs> you got into and bed, girls. and it was before we had duvets. You had sheets, you had blankets, you had an eiderdown. And one party got under the sheets. You cuddled, okay. but there were sheets. Spooned. You spooned. Sheets and blankets yeah. were in between you. Yeah.
1: It'd the also shaking be- of the sheets was a 16th century dance, but that was then applied to... There's a like euphemism that. for sex.
0: That's she, a bit like she's... jingling jangling, which okay. is another one. Oh, let's have some correspondence. Who's been in touch this week? Lots of people.
1: Yes, a lot of people are going to get in touch after this week, that's for sure. Hi,
0: says Hugh Griffiths. Very much enjoy the podcast. Listen as I commute to work in Perth. Whether this is... Oh, no, Western Australia, he says, not Scotland. I think you will find the cloth at the end of hotel beds is because guests... Don't take their shoes off. Do you remember a few weeks ago I was banging on, having a rant about not only the ridiculous number of pillows that there are on beds yes. in hotels, yes. but also these ludicrous bits, strips of cloth at the end of the bed? Yes. Do agree- they call?
1: Do we? And someone provided us with the word? No. Oh.
0: Somebody hasn't provided us with the word, okay. but they have provided us with the reason that, that hotels have those cloths. It is because guests often don't take their shoes off. Oh. And it's easier to clean a multicoloured cloth than a white sheet or duvet. So that's the reason at the end of your bed there's that okay. little strip of cloth. We
1: still need to find the the name, the term for that strip of cloth, don't we?
0: Well, we do have the answer to what it's called as well. Peter Jones, he's not a shot, but not a dragon, not an actor although I'd entertain the idea of recording the next edition of the Galactic Hitchhiker's Guide, that's Peter Jones, he has come up with the answer. He says, Dear Susie and Giles, in your podcast on sleep-related words, you were looking for answers about the sash at the foot of a hotel bird bed. It is called a bed scarf, a bed scarf or a partial coverlet.
1: Oh, coverlet. There you okay. are.
0: That's what it is.
1: That is quite good. I have one. Maybe, maybe we should finish on this one. Made me smile. Ian Nichols, a little bit saucy. The comment about French and Swiss kisses reminds me of a joke from an Australian comedian. An Aussie kiss is like a French kiss, but down under.
0: Cheeky. What is your trio this week for us? OK,
1: this word I think is highly useful for our times. In fact, probably it's always been very useful. Some people say Twitter is full of these. I personally love Twitter, but a Philodox... P-H-I-L-O-D-O-X. is a person in love with their own opinion. Ooh. It's quite useful, isn't it? Philodox.
0: Yes. You mentioned you love Twitter. What is your Twitter handle?
1: It's uh, Susie underscore Dent.
0: Susie underscore Dent. I follow you. She follows me. I'm at Giles B1. G-Y-L-E-S-B-1. What's your second word?
1: Anybody who's had a bit of a rough night gets up, the following day and is forced to look in the mirror when they're cleaning their teeth. They might find themselves idio repulsive. Oh. Idiorepulsive, self-repelling. <laughs> 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 that happens. Oh, that to me
0: more and more. I used to shave in one of those mirrors that amplifies the size of your face. I've recently oh. I've recently turned it to make it smaller. It now makes my face look further away. So I'm not shaving so well, but it's a happier <laughs> sight.
1: I thought that when I finally started to wear glasses, I I enjoyed the sort of soft focus. This might be appropriate to um, round off today. Um, We've been talking about love, haven't we? And if something soft and flabby shakes about it, it's quagging. Oh,
0: thank you very much. Thank you for raising the tone with that last word. Something soft and flabby (laughs) that wags about
1: is called What? It's to quag. To, to quag. To quag. To quag is to shake of something soft and flabby.
0: <clears throat> now, I may not be able to do this, but because we, I knew we were going to talk about love today. Yes. And because I've worked on this um, Dancing with the Night of the Moon collection of poetry to learn by heart, I thought I would try and learn a poem to recite to you. Oh. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight for the ends of being and ideal grace. I love thee to the level of every day's most quiet need by sun and candlelight. I love thee freely as men strive for right. I love thee purely as they turn from praise. I love thee with a passion put to use in my old griefs and in my childhood's faith. I love thee With the love I seem to lose with my lost saints. I love thee with the breath, smiles, tears of all my life. And if God choose, I shall but love thee better after death.
1: Beautiful. Good. Utterly beautiful. And that's
0: the first time I've recited it out loud. Amazing. So that was for you, Susie Dent, a little love poem by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Ah. Her story was a great love story. And what's interesting is when she published the poem, it's a sonnet, it was called Poems from the Portuguese. And she pretended that they were translations from. Sonnets written in Portuguese, but they, were her own. but they were her own, and she did that because she thought people wouldn't necessarily yeah. take her seriously. Anyway, so though we've given you a lot of nonsense today, at least we've ended up with a, a proper
1: piece beautiful. of love poetry. Good, thank you. That's our lot, isn't it? So it is our lot. If you
0: enjoyed the podcast today, why not uh, review us? Uh, I will rate us to help spread the word. If you've got a question you'd like to ask, uh, whether you just want to get in touch, you can email us at purple at com. Something,
1: something Rhymes with Purple is a Something Else production produced by Paul Smith with additional production from Steve Ackerman, Lawrence Bassett, and someone called... Gully! Gully. So sorry, Gully.